0: My name is Luke Hedinger. For those of you who don't know me, uh, maybe haven't got the privilege to to meet yet, I, I get to be one of the pastors on staff here at Compass. So just want to say welcome, and yeah, praise God. I just want to say an amen to to what Pastor Craig was was saying. It is, um, it is, it's so. Can I, can I say interesting? Maybe I, I use that word a lot and sometimes it loses its meaning. My wife always says, what do you mean by that? You say everything's interesting. Uh, but it is interesting to try and figure out what does it mean to be a church that's pro-life from womb to tomb? What, is, what does that look like? Because I just want to add the amen that things are not done by one, one work of legislation. Right? It, it, it's almost like more things get put into place. And we, as God's people, get the opportunity to step into those as people who are being transformed. Amen? So, so if you would, continue to pray with us about that. And what does that look like? What's that look like to love people well, um, no matter what ends of the spectrum we find ourselves on? So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with to me to Matthew 26. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be looking at verses 36 through 39. If you don't have uh, a Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. And we have those Bibles uh, in the, in the, under the chairs. Uh, and we're looking at page 1515. So if you're like, wow, where's Matthew? I don't know what that means. just turn to page 1515 and that's where we're going to be. But uh, we're we're going to continue walking through this series that we've been going through called primary colors. That's why the colors are the way they are. If maybe you're like, "Why that doesn't look great?" It's prime. They're primary colors, and 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 the reason we the reason we're thinking about this is because again, in the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis one, what we see what we see are the primary colors for all of the biblical narrative. Right? And the, the way colors work, I'm told, is that if you have the primary colors, you can kind of do anything from that. Right? You can make whatever colors you want from those primary colors. And that's what we see from the very beginning pages of Scripture. Right? And what we're doing is we're walking through Scripture and seeing how in the very beginning, God created this garden and this beautiful creation, and he placed in that garden two trees. Right? He, he placed two trees. The tree of, of life that other tree, which we did not do this on purpose, right? This wasn't like we're going to shut this tree in a closet somewhere in the basement and, and then that's going to be an illustration. Uh, we tried our best to water this tree and put It's like God himself did not want this tree to live. And I said that to somebody in first service. He's like, I don't think God had anything to do with that. I think that was y'all not watering it. But uh, that could be, that could be. Um, but we're, we're talking about trees throughout scripture, we see this theme of trees. And, and it's so cool because when we talk about the tree of life, the, the Craig defined it this way last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online and, and listen to that sermon. Tree of life, it represents a sacred picture of God's life-giving presence and care. See, when when we open up the very beginning pages of Scripture and look at Genesis 2, we see that, that God created this beautiful creation and he created this garden and he put man in the garden and in the middle of the garden, he placed this tree, the tree of life. I think, I think that is such a beautiful picture of, of God's presence with his people that sometimes we move so far past that we just keep reading because we're so familiar. But the reality, if we truly understand the tree of life in this way, that the tree of life is God's uh, life-giving presence and care and the fact that God created everything and in the very center of his creation, he placed a representation of what it looks like for him to be With his people, isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Okay, all right. It is. Answer is yes. First service was a little bit more livelier than you guys, so you have some work to do. All right, this morning. All right, so so that's what we see. But then in the midst, in Genesis two, we see that there's another tree in the garden. And I love it because as we've been thinking about these two trees, I always thought about this tree as like the death tree. And Craig talked about how it's it's not the death tree. It's not like God was like, here's a beautiful tree and also, haha, we'll see how you do with this. You know, we'll, we'll just place this death tree. No, God said everything was good in creation. And so that, that includes these two trees, and yet what this tree represents, it represents this, this temptation to say, Okay, I, I hear what you're saying, God. I, I hear you, I feel you, I experience you, and yet... I think I might, you know, I, I don't know. This this looks hard. This looks difficult. There's there's things that I don't understand. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of navigate over to this tree and I'm gonna figure it out myself and I'm gonna do my own things and I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out these different things. See, it wasn't um, when when I was when I was in Iowa. We were doing these uh, Discover Bible studies with foreign exchange students. And we were reading the Bible with uh, this, group of, this group of students. And we came to this, this you know, the, the two trees. And how, how God tells Adam, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And, and the foreign exchange student, first time reading through this, he stopped. And he's like, whoa, wait a second. You're telling me that God doesn't want mankind to know right from wrong? Like, what kind of God is this? And isn't that so interesting because that is the lie of the enemy, right? That's what the serpent said to Eve. You know, did God really say, did God really say, do this? Did God see when so often when we're living at this tree, that's in the back of our minds. It's like, okay, God, I know that you said this, but, but uh, did you know that life would be this hard for me? Did you know I would experience this sickness? Did you know my job? Did you know the, did you know, God, that there would be a pandemic? I don't know if you knew that. Because if you would know that, I, I think, you know, we need to figure some stuff out, right? Let's, let's get over here. And yet the reality is, as we look at this, what this tree represents, it's, it's not the fact that God doesn't want us to know. It's the fact that God wants us to know, but he wants us to know through relationship, God is not withholding. He's actually an incredibly loving God who says my presence is with you. And yes, I want you to grow and flourish. But that doesn't happen by you figuring out the best way for your own life. That happens through relationship with me, right? And yet the reality is the Bible says that we've all eaten from this tree, right? We've all gone our own way. We've all, we, we all know what it's like to say, okay, yeah, I hear you, but... Right, I, I hear you, but... And we, we go over to this tree that, that represents what we think should happen. And we know what it's like. We know what it's like to eat from the street. We we know what happens. Oftentimes we we try and do things our own way, and and maybe we try and control situations and people. And and if I can just if I can just figure everything out, you know, like, like it's like me playing chess. I'm terrible at chess, but uh, the last time I played chess with my wife, it was like years and years and years ago because she won't play with me anymore because I'm so bad at it that I try and figure out. Okay, if I move this pawn, then she's gonna move this, and then. I'll I'll have to move this, and then I'll have, and, and she's like, oh my goodness, we're done, you know? Uh, not that she has anger problems, we're good. But but sometimes when we think about our situations and our life and all these different things, it can feel like that, and we're trying to figure out all these different... And if I can just control it enough... If I can just, you know, I was reading a book about codependency and being in relationship with people who are in addiction and they were talking about how oftentimes addiction brings this sense of just overwhelming control where if I can just control, if I can just have tabs on them at all times then I'll know where they're at and then the drinking will stop or this will stop and I just got to control my environment. Or, or we, we go into this, this situation where it's like, okay, that didn't work, so I'm going to actually remove myself from relationships. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build walls, and anytime anybody gets close to me, I'm going to get big, or I'm going to get small, and I'm just going to remove myself. Or, or oftentimes we eat from this tree, and we try and figure out, okay, well, none of that works, so, so what's, what's something that I can find flourishing in? Right, a friend of mine, when I was pastoring up in Iowa, he, he tried so hard to be as healthy as he possibly could be. He was an, he was he was well in years. Um, I've I've learned that I don't I can't remember how old he was, but he was he was up there. And so I, I never want to say he was old, but uh, he was well in years. Um, and he I mean everything he ate was like right out of his garden, pressed his own juice. Like yeah, I mean it, this guy was like I mean he exercised all the time. He always told me how I needed to eat better and. How I needed to exercise, which he was one of those guys. Loved him. Uh, and, and it was crazy because in the midst of all of that, one day he had this massive heart attack. And it was, it, it was incredibly sad because I watched this friend of mine just kind of wither away it's it, you know we, we try and do everything like okay health and maybe it's wealth and if I can just if I can just invest right and if I can put enough in my food, oh bitcoin maybe that's it or or you know we, we try and do all these different things and then inflation and all this stuff happens or 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 maybe we we try and uh, you know it's relationships and popularity and it's funny because as I was thinking about like popularity, uh, you know, we we think about oh yeah, that's the, uh, kids these days. They're all about popularity. And yet the reality is that doesn't stop with the whole teenage years, does it? I mean, how, how many times in in the workplace, you know, there's there's this temptation where it's like, well, I kind of want to, I want to be liked. I want to be in the in crowd. So so maybe I'll maybe I'll gossip a little bit. Maybe I'll, I'll just throw some information. Well, did you hear that? Or or maybe maybe I'll go out with everybody else after work and just have a few drinks and, and then it turns into more or, or you know, whatever it is, like this this desire for popularity. We think, well maybe maybe that's it and yet every single thing that we that we engage with, relationships where it's like, Okay, if I if I can just if I can just find the right person if I can just comp- I'll just compromise a little bit because that's what you gotta do in the dating world and I'll just compromise myself just a little bit to find this right person. And yet the reality is no matter how good somebody is, like my wife and I, we just celebrated not too long ago, 20 years. So we got married when we were 11. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But we celebrated 20 years and no matter how incredible of a husband I am, I will always fail my wife right? See, that's the, the, the desire, the temptation is always to go to this tree and we know what that feels like. And, and yet as we talk about this, we come to this place, my hope is that we come to this place where it's like, yeah, I, oh, I feel that. So what's the answer? If if this tree represents God's life-giving presence and care, what's the answer because I know what that tree's like. So how how do I get there? And oftentimes it can feel like like a diagnosis without without the cure, you know? Like like my my grandpa We used to we used to play croquet a lot, uh, and I love I love the gamer croquet. Not very good at it again, but I love the gamer croquet, and I I can remember playing with my grandpa and I'd hit the ball and he'd just start laughing, like if I just really goofed it up, he'd start laughing, he said, Oh, you hadn't want to have done that. I was like, Yes, grandpa, I know I hadn't want to have done that. Like, I know my problem. What I need is a solution, right? Like, I, I know I really goofed up. I know I messed up again. I know I tasted from this tree again. But, but what I need is I need a way to get back to this tree. And this morning, what I believe we see in the scripture we're going to be looking at is the reality that, that life at this tree is a life of trying, Right? Just trying, trying to figure it out, trying to, to navigate, trying to make the different moves so that my outcome is going to be okay. Trying to, to, to figure out, okay, how, how can I navigate this life to, to miss all this pain? Trying and trying. And, and yet the, reality, the, the, the goal, the, the invitation is to stop trying and begin to trust. Right To trust that God is actually who He says He is. To trust that God's life-giving presence and care is actually a good thing. You see, and I believe what we see from Scripture this morning as we look at the passage is that, that as we move from a life of trying to a life of trusting, we begin to be transformed. Do you like all the T's? Right? If, you, if you didn't catch that, right? Trying to trusting leads to transformation. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read this passage together and stand in honor of God's word. Matthew 26, and around here what we do after we read is I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God. That's just kind of what we do around here. So Matthew 26, verses 36 through 39 says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. God, God, we praise you. We thank you even as we stop to just... Just take a breath, God, we, I pray, God, I pray that no matter where we're at this morning coming into this space, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I, I know that you desire a relationship with your people. You desire for us to know you more than we desire to know you, God, and so I pray this morning that you would speak. Speak, God, and it's in your name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage, as we look at uh, uh, this, this interaction, first of all, my question for you, pop quiz, you didn't know you'd, you'd have pop quiz this morning, but where, where, where are they in this interaction? Where are we at here? Geographically, They're in a garden, right? I don't know who said that, but they're in a garden, right? The, the word Gethsemane, it literally means oil press. And so we know, we know that uh, go- John's gospel just comes right out and says that they're in a garden. And not only that, but they're in a garden that was right outside of where? Do you remember? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. What was in Jerusalem? There are many things in Jerusalem, but what was one of the main things that Jerusalem was known for? The temple, I heard a few different things. I heard the temple, though. Yeah, the, the temple, the temple, the temple was the, the representation of God's life-giving presence and care. That sounds like something else we just talked about, Right? That, right? Okay, right. I heard that. All right. Right. Yeah. The, the temple was God's life, the representation of God's life-giving presence and care. You, you had the court of the Gentiles and you had the holy place and then you had the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies was God's presence with his people. And you see in the temple, you, that's where people could come to, to experience God, to come to, to have their sins forgiven, be atoned for, be, be brought back into relationship with God and his people. And yet the reality is, is that it, during this, this time where we're at in, in uh, history, the temple had become something else. The temple had gone from this representation of God's life-giving presence and care to, to just, a, a, just a system, just a system of beliefs. And, and not only that, but in a lot of cases it had become a system of oppression for, for the people of Israel. I mean, we see this in, in chapter 21 when Jesus, the triumphal entry, Jesus comes in. People are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord, son of David. All They're, they're crying out. Jesus goes directly where after the triumphal entry? Do you remember? The temple, right? Yeah, you're like, I don't know. The, te- the temple, yeah. He gets off his donkey, goes right into the temple, and what's he start doing? He looks around, and I, I think it's John's gospel. I can't remember exactly, but in one case, it says that he fashioned a whip. Like he, in my overactive imagination, Jesus comes in, and he's looking around, and he's like, and he's just like, I got to find something to hit people with, right? And, and he just starts like making a whip. It's crazy. And, and he, he comes in and he starts flipping the tables and he starts whipping people and driving them out. And, and what's he say? This is supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations and you have made it a what? A den of thieves, a den of robbers. See, and what Jesus is not talking about, he's not talking about selling raffle tickets in the church foyer. Right? For some of you, maybe you've been in conversations like that. I've had conversations like that. I've been in ministry for a long time, and there's like, well, we can't sell tickets in the church because that's what Jesus was all about when he cleansed out he cleansed the temple. He didn't want to mix that's not what he was about. See that the reality is, is that what had happened is that the religious rulers had made this place that the Gentiles could experience God, they made it into a marketplace where they were actually oppressing people. See, and Jesus, in Jesus, this, in this action, he sets himself up in opposition to what they, had, what they had created, which was this tree. He set himself up and he cleansed the temple. And not only that, but we see that right after he goes out from the temple, he sees this fig tree. And Jesus says that Jesus is hungry. He goes up to the fig tree. He doesn't see any figs on it. What's he do? Curses it. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is hungry. Don't mess with Jesus when he's hungry, right? Jesus is hungry. He curses the fig tree. The fig tree withers and the disciples are like, oh my goodness, that's crazy. What happened? You see, and Jesus begins to speak and he uses the fig tree as an illustration for the religious rulers and leaders and systems that had been set up in this day and age. He sets himself up and he says, this is not what it's about. And now we see, now we see Jesus is in a garden undergoing a temptation. See, I I believe that as we read this, I think what the biblical narrative is asking us to do, it's calling us to do, is it's calling us to go back to Genesis 2. It's, it's calling us to go back to this place because, again, it's the, the whole biblical narrative, it's cyclical, it's, it's, uh, it's contemplative. We get to meditate on it and we get, to, we get to experience like a diamond where you turn it and you see all the many facets. And, and you start to say, okay, what's happening here? And the biblical authors are inviting us to say, okay, there is a new creation experience happening in this garden. And we see that Jesus is being tempted the same way that Adam was tempted, right? He's being tempted and he comes and he says, God, if there's any way, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me, please let it be done. And yet, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. And it's so interesting because if you read on, he does this three different times. Like, it wasn't just a one and done thing. It wasn't just like, Jesus like, hey, if there's any other plan. I'm not saying, I, I'm not saying that, you know, it's like, hey, a friend of mine was wondering if there's any other way we can do this. Like, hey, you know, it's fine. It's fine. He wasn't saying that. Three different times, he's, he's falling on his face. He's crying out to God. He's saying, God, if there's any way, if there's any way, three different times. See, it's, it's so interesting because as we look at this garden experience again, we see it's almost this paradox. Because Jesus is, is facing something that looks like death. I mean, he's facing the cross. He knows exactly what he's, he's going for. He, he knows what's going to happen to him. He's facing the cross and it looks like death. And yet the promise is that as he goes through death, he's going to be transformed into new life. And yet it's a paradox because even in the beginning of, of Genesis 2, what looked like death, or what looked like life, excuse me, this tree looked like life. Oh, the, the serpent was like, Oh, you won't die if you eat from this tree. Actually, your eyes will be opened and, and you'll be like God. This this tree looked like life. Not this tree, but the the original tree looked like life. And yet what was received was death. You see, that's a paradox. And it's the same kind of paradox that we face as, as believers and living in this world on a daily basis. There are things that we are called to that look like death, that feel like death. Like, like um, I, I was talking to a, a group of people this past week and, and we were talking about how confession, oftentimes confession feels like death. Right? Have you ever been in a place where you're like, I know I need to confess this. I've screwed up again. I've done this again. The, the thing that I said I would never do, oh, I did it again. And we're called to confess. And what confession actually means is just telling the truth. That's, that's all confession is. It's telling the truth because after confession then can come repentance and, and come reconciliation. And you see the thing that looks like death where it's like if I confess this, I'm going to lose relationships. If I confess this, I might lose my job. If I confess this, I might, I, I might be shunned. If I confess this, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And yet the promise of Scripture is that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have relationship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ will purify us. See that's a paradox, isn't it? The thing that looks like death is actually going to bring life. What about what about Sabbath? We've talked about Sabbath in this series, right? Sabbath sometimes, like I don't want to be overdramatic, but sometimes Sabbath can feel like death. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, right? But sometimes Sabbath can feel like death because it's like I just I gotta run harder. Are you telling me I need? you telling me I need to just rest and breathe and take a day every week. Like you don't know my schedule. Do, do you know what the economy is doing? Do you know what? The, do, you, do you know what the Fed is, is supposed to be? It's like we're we're invited into this this relationship with a God who rests, and we're invited to be people who rest. And yet the reality is sometimes it's like that doesn't seem right. Uh, so I'm just going to go over here, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and figure out. I'm, maybe I'm going to get another job. Or I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to. I'm going it, to. It's we're trying all the time instead of trusting. Right? What about? I mean. Even this past week, with everything that's going on, we as believers, as Christians, we are called to love our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to do good to those who persecute us. And there are times where that can feel like a paradox. We, we get these feelings and we get these emotions and somebody asks us a question and we know that they're not actually asking the question they're actually asking. The question they're asking is a loaded question. and It's like whatever we say is actually going to be wrong, right? Have you ever been in those situations? And then it's like, I start to breathe, you know, I feel anxious, I feel frustrated, I feel like I'm just going to, I'm going to get, and you see the reality is in that situation, We're just trying to figure out, like, okay, how do I get bigger? How do I get out of this situation? See, the the paradox is that if we love our enemies, then God is going to bring new life into the world through that. That we will know, people will know that we're disciples of Jesus Christ by how we love one another. That's crazy. That's a paradox. And yet Jesus represents this idea of saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And, and if, if we were to skip ahead, let's go to John, John 19. This is, this, we, we know that as three times he prays this. The disciples are sleeping. He goes back and he's like, hey, my betrayer is coming. Judas comes, kisses him. Uh, and then they haul him off and start beating him up and put the crown of thorns on He He's being uh, acu- wrongly accused and all these different people are spitting on him, beating him. And then in John 19, it says, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. You see, it's interesting because if we stop and wonder about this and don't read it, no, we, we know the end, right? It's like re-watching a really good movie and, and, and you know, there's, there's parts in every movie where it's like things are getting really bad. And I don't know how this is going to end, right? But we know the ending and so it's, it's fine. We can just read right through. And yet when we read this with, without knowing the end, it seems like Jesus really messed up. It's Like, oh, maybe you shouldn't have told Peter to stop swinging that sword. Maybe you should have kind of figured out what was going on instead of submitting yourself to these people. Because he takes his own cross. He goes and they plant this cross, the tree, which is what the biblical authors call a cross, this tree. And it's planted in the place of death. It's planted in this, this place called the skull. Isn't it, isn't it so interesting? I mean, uh, like, if you were to look at a, a skull, it's like, okay, something bad just happened here. Like, if there's a skull laying there, like, you're either in science class or you're in a really bad scene that you need to get out of, right? There's one or two options there. And yet, yet the cross, this tree, as Jesus embraces the cross, they nail him to it, and they plant him, and I, I love it because this is, again, this is Genesis language. It says, there, there they crucified him, and with, with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle or in the midst. If you go back and you read Genesis 2, it says that uh, God, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food, in the middle or in the midst of the garden where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, what we're seeing here is Jesus embraces the tree of life and it looks like he's dying on it. He gets nailed to it. It gets planted in the place of death. No longer is this tree planted in God's good creation, but it's planted in death. And it's in the middle. This is Genesis 2 language. Again, the biblical authors are taking us back. They're saying something new is happening. Something different is taking place. And what we see as this tree is planted in the place of death is that God then undoes death. Death. God undoes death. That's what the, the biblical authors say in First Peter chapter 2, 24 through 23. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You see, what what is happening here is Jesus being embracing the tree of life, being planted in the place of death, then undoes death in each and every one of us. Do you know what happens right after Jesus proclaims it is finished? In almost every gospel, except for John, I believe. Do you know what happens where the biblical authors go? They go to the temple. They go back to the temple, back to this tree, back to the place of God's, God's presence. And what does it say about the temple? Do you remember? I can't hear you whispering, but what I'm guessing you're saying is that the veil was torn. Is that what you said? Yeah, all right. The veil was torn. In the middle of the temple, this place that, that kept God's presence from God's people, the veil was Wasn't that oh (laughs) Tom did you do that on purpose? this this veil when I when I was a kid it's like you know when I thought about the veil I just thought about like the the dark curtains that were hanging in our little country church you know these dark brown they were like super th- no sunlight could get through those curtains but it was okay because they matched the brown and uh, orange carpet the, it was all of one one style choice I guess but but I I thought I thought that's kind of what it was and yet if you read if you read the Old Testament the this curtain was like like a foot thick I mean this thing was thick and it represented the fact that God was with his people and yet sin kept them out and and I I love it because as I've read this it's like oh my goodness because of Jesus because of what he did on the cross for me in my place embracing this tree of life now I have access to God and that is true and yet I believe as I was reading this past week it's not all the truth I mean, Jesus continued to talk about how the kingdom of God was what? Do you remember? At hand. The kingdom of God was near. The kingdom of God has come upon you. I, I love the, the story of the good shepherd. What happened when, when one strayed away from the 99? What did the good shepherd do? He went after, right? I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, well, I got 99. That's not bad, right? But he he went after it over and over and over again. What we see is God's life-giving presence and care is relentless to go after his people. You see, I, I love it because as we think about the curtain being torn, what that represents is not only do I have access to God, but God has access to me. That, that's what Paul talks about in Romans 10, 6 through 9. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What, what Paul's saying is, don't say in your heart, okay, what do I got to do to get this? What, what, what do I have to, I got to try really hard, right? I got to try because you know, you don't know my week. I did some, you know, stuff that I'm not proud of. So what do I got to do to bring Christ up? What do I got to do to bring Christ down? He says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Amen. See, see the reality, what, what we can do in this as we, as we see what Jesus did, as we see these two trees, we can get this mindset of, okay, all right, man, praise God. Praise God for, for what he has done for me. Praise God. So, so I just, I gotta, I gotta just start trusting. Okay, well, all right, let's try really hard to trust. It's such a slippery slope, isn't it? Because we can feel ourselves being drawn back to this tree, and it's like, okay, I got I got to try really hard to trust. It's like it's the same thing with like the whole W W J D fad phase. Do you guys remember? Did anybody have W W J D bracelets? Yeah. Okay. Woo-hoo. <laughs> All right. Excited about those WWJD bracelets. Like, I, I remember I remember that, that being a fad and I remember I think I was at like Hastings, which was the like the bookstore and video rental place in Kirksville, Missouri. I think I was at Hastings when this this woman was apprehended because she was trying to shoplift two big handfuls of WWJD bracelets. <laughs> yeah. It's kinda like, I think you're missing the point about what, does, what those WWJD bracelets represent, and yet we're, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about the, the motivation behind that fad. And yet, what that meant for me, what was communicated to me when I would have my WWJD bracelet on, it's like, okay, try really hard. Right when I when I go to school, okay, what would Jesus do? All right, well, he wouldn't have done what I just did, so okay, try harder, be better right? Try, just, just try and do all, try and do, you know, because, because when you think, okay, what would Jesus do? The bar's pretty high, right? I mean, what would Jesus do? He would come and die for sinful people and he'd be, he'd be crucified on the cross and put in the ground and raised again in three days. And then it's like, okay, what would Jesus do? And yet the reality is what we say around here all the time is the gospel message is that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And, and the rest of that is that because he did that, I can now do what I could have never done before. See, when, when we engage in this world, when we engage and we feel the temptation to try, and we feel the temptation to be drawn back to this tree and figure it out and say, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to And we feel that the invitation for each of us is to trust and be transformed by our trusting. Amen. And in that trusting, we can say, okay, God, God, I feel really angry right now. I feel angry about where the culture's going. I feel angry. I feel fearful, God, about where things are going. I feel, I feel, I feel anxious. I feel so anxious about where everything's going. I see these people on the street corners and I feel angry at them and I want to get big and I want to. But God, what does it look like for me to stop trying to figure this out and start trusting you? What does it look like for me to engage with people who believe differently than I do and say, okay, I'm a transformed person through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the tree, right? He embraced the tree of life so that I can embrace the tree of life. John 15 says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from you can, m- me, you can do nothing by, by being connected to Jesus. What we become are trees of life. They get to go out into the world and proclaim life to those who are dying. Amen? And the question is, as we we embrace this tree and say, okay, what does it look like for me to trust you? We get to ask the question, okay, what does a transformed life look like in this situation? What does it look like for me to ask the question, okay, God, what if you were really good here? What what if you knew what I needed to be okay, God? What do you want me to know about this anger I'm feeling? I'm feeling anxious, God. What am I not believing about you? What am I not trusting about you right now that brings about this anxiety? God, it feels like my relationships are really rocky. What am I not trusting about you? that makes me feel like I can't say what needs to be said in this moment. What am I not trusting about you? See, church, the invitation is for us to be a people where we stop trying and continue to trust. Amen? What would that look like? What would that look like if we were a community of people going out into this world that is so confusing and saying, you know what? Yeah, it is confusing. It's confusing. And yet, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to to engage? What does it look like to be secure in the fact that we can trust a God who is not surprised by anything? See, how how do we get from, from trying to trusting to transformation? We engage with Jesus. He embraced the tree. He was nailed to it so that he did what I could never do. So now I can do what I could have never done before. Amen? Can, can we just pray? Let's, let's pray together. God, in this moment, God, I, I know that there are, there are so many different stories coming together in this space. There are so many different feelings. God, there are so many different experiences. God, there are, there are marriages that are, that are hurting. There are parents who are hurting. There are children who are hurting. God, we, we don't know what the future holds. God, there are anxieties. God, there are fears. As a church, God, it's, sometimes it's so hard to know where you're leading us. And yet, God, I pray in this moment, God, that you would help us, help us to see where it is that we're trying. We're still trying. We're still trying to control. We're still trying to find those things. We're still eating that fruit. And God, what we're doing is we're, we're continuing to separate ourselves from you. And yet the reality is, God, we are children. We are your children. And there is nothing that can separate us from that. So God, I pray that in that security, you would continue to reveal to us what it looks like to trust you in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. And God, my prayer is that as people think about Compass Church that they would see us not as people who have a political agenda or people who are louder than other people, but God, they would see us as people who are secure in you. God, I, I pray that you would reveal to us what that looks like this morning. We love you, God. We trust you. We trust you. It's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.